Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I want to welcome those of you watching and worshiping online with us this morning. And as Wayne said, this is our global ministry weekend where we focus on our national and uh, local and international missionaries and partner agencies and across all of our campuses. Our lead pastors are preaching this weekend and we're all preaching from the same text, which is James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. And so truly this weekend we are one church in many different locations. Over the past year, my family and I, we've been reading through some of the biographies of the great missionaries of the Christian faith. And uh, you can pick up some of these, these biographies in our Apple Seed. Uh, we've been reading ones that are part of the Christian Heroes series. And uh, they're phenomenal, phenomenal books, phenomenal stories that reveal the faith and the, the lives of prayer, right, that these missionaries had. And they're, they're inspiring. And our kids, our grade school children, they love them. So if you as parents want to read some good books with your kids, um, pick up some of these biographies. And one of the biographies that we, we read was of George Mueller. Some of you are familiar with his life story and might be familiar with the story that I want to tell you this morning. In 1835, George Mueller began an orphanage uh, in Bristol. And... Um, Abigail, this young girl, was not an orphan, but her father was a very close friend to George Mueller. And so often, Abigail would go with her father to visit the orphanage. And one morning, Abigail was there at the orphanage, and George Mueller took her by the hand and said, Come with me. I want to show you what our father will do for us this morning. So George Mueller led her into the dining room of this orphanage where there were bowls and cups and utensils on the table, but there was no food. There was no food for anyone in the orphanage to eat that morning. They had run out of food. So George Mueller walked with Abigail in there. All the children were standing, just respectfully waiting for breakfast to begin. And George Mueller said, you know what, children, it's almost time for school, so let's pray. And this is what he prayed. He said, dear father... We thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. Amen. And there's no food. (laughs) That's what he prayed. True story. And right then there was a knock on the door. Mueller went and opened up the door. And here the guy who stood in front of him was the local baker. And the local baker said this, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt like you didn't have anything to eat for breakfast. And I felt like God wanted me to bake you some fresh bread. So I got up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I baked some bread for you all to eat this morning. Do you need any food? Mr. Mueller was just taken back and he thanked the baker. He thanked the Lord with all the children there. And then right away there was another knock at the door. And he opened up the door and here's the milkman. And what had happened was the milkman was delivering his milk and his cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage. And he came and knocked on the door and he said, Mr. Mueller, I I want to fix my cart, but I have to offload the milk in order to fix my cart. So if you need any milk, you can have this milk this morning for breakfast. And Mr. Mueller again just thanked God and thanked the milkman. And then the children had something to eat. And little Abigail saw before her own very eyes how God answers prayer. And how God loves to give children fresh bread and milk to eat. 
And so Abigail then said to Mr. Mueller, she said, Mr. Mueller, I wish God would answer my prayers the same way that he answers your prayers. And Mr. Mueller said, oh, Abigail, he will. He will. What is it that you want to ask God to do for you? And she said, you know what? I would like God to give me some wool yarn. That's what she wanted. And so Mr. Mueller got down and, and prayed with Abigail a short prayer, asking God to give her some wool yarn, and she went away to play. Soon, a little while later, she came back and said, Mr. Mueller, I want to pray again. And he said, well, you don't need to pray again, but what is it that you want to pray for? And she said, well, I forgot to ask God for the color of wool that I wanted. And so Mr. Mueller said, you know what, that's right, Abigail. When we pray, we should pray and ask God for exactly what it is that we want. So they prayed together that God would give Abigail some multicolored wool yarn. A package arrived the next day for Abigail. You see, her Sunday school teacher had forgotten her birthday and so had sent her a belated birthday present. And what her Sunday school teacher had sent her was a gift of multicolored wool yarn. You see, church, God answers prayer. He loves it when we pray. And sometimes he even answers prayers that we haven't prayed yet. God answers prayer. And what I want to remind us of this weekend is that the job of every Christian, every single Christian, every single follower of Jesus is to pray. That's our job, plain and simple. We pray. We pray for ourselves. We pray for others. We pray for our world. But you see, sometimes we, f- we feel that our praying is insignificant. That maybe it doesn't matter that much. Sometimes we feel that praying is kind of just optional for followers of Jesus. We can pray or not pray. It doesn't really matter. Things will just turn out the way that God wants them to. And we feel that praying is just so minor. And at times as well, then we feel that we want to do something important for God other than praying. We want, to, we want to do something for him, build something for him, make something happen for him. Something important, something, something big. Or at times we feel like we want to be someone important for God. And so we exert our influence or our strength or our, our wealth or whatever it might be so that we ourselves are important for God. We want to do things for God And it seems like prayer just kind of moves to the bottom of the list and we feel like it doesn't matter so much. But here's the thing. When we look at the life of Jesus and the way that he prayed, we can't come to this conclusion that prayer is insignificant. Just remember in your mind right now all of the, the parables and the stories that we read about in the Gospels of Jesus and how often he prays. Because for Jesus, prayer was everything absolutely everything. It was foundational. It was of primary importance, of first importance in his life. For Jesus, prayer was everything. It was, a, it was a duty and a privilege. It was a right that he had to pray and a responsibility to pray. It was an opportunity for Jesus to, to build intimacy and communion with his, his Father. For Jesus, it was a necessity to pray so that he would live the life that his father had in mind for him to live. Prayer was everything to Jesus. And so for the remainder of our time this morning, I want us to look at James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. James was Jesus' brother. 
And James reminds us of some things about prayer. He teaches us some things about prayer here in these verses. And so my goal for the next 20 minutes or so is to attempt to stir up in us, in you and in me, to stir up in us a passion and a desire and a conviction to pray. To pray. And I want to lead us then at the end of our worship service to pray together here in this room to pray before we leave here this morning. So turn to James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, and stand with me as we read the first three or four verses here as they show up on the screen. James chapter 5, we'll read together, starting at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make them well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Just pray with me for a moment. God, as we're gathered here this morning, we've come to meet with you. And it truly is amazing, incredible, that when we pray to you, you hear us. That you, all-powerful God, creator of heaven and earth, that you hear us, your eyes see us, your heart is attentive to us. We marvel that we can talk with you, that we can listen to you and that you speak and you answer. So Father, as we learn, as we read your word this morning, teach us, change us, shape us to become the kind of praying people the kind of praying families, the kind of praying community groups, the kind of praying church that you have in mind for us to be. So teach us this morning. That's our prayer. So answer, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. You see, first of all, what James is getting at here in these verses is this, that praying is our first response. That Praying is our first response to whatever we experience in life. In fact, it's necessary, it's acceptable, and it's normal that praying is our first response. It's our immediate reaction to all that we experience in life. I mean, listen to what James says. If anyone is in trouble... Or it could be translated, if anybody is suffering, let them pray. If anybody is happy or cheerful or wants to celebrate something good in life, pray. If anybody is sick, pray. If anybody has sinned, confess your sin to one another and pray. I mean, James gets so practical, so applicable here. Think of it this way. If anybody is sad, glad sick or has sinned, pray. Just pray. 
that almost covers all of our experiences in life. Not quite, but a good many of them. If anybody is sad, glad, sick, or has sinned, pray. If anybody you know is sad, glad, sick, or has sinned, pray. If anything in our world takes place that causes you or causes a group of people to be sad or glad or sick, or if there's sin, pray. Pray. Prayer is our first response to all that we experience in life. This is what God's word is saying to us this morning. One of the things that we have just fallen in a great habit of doing as a family is if we're driving someplace and we see an accident, we pray. If we hear sirens at home or playing or somewhere as a family, and even if I'm by myself, I mean, we've just conditioned ourselves this way to pray. So what we do when we see an accident is we pray for the people that have been in that accident and we pray that God would protect them and heal them and God would bring them to full recovery and we, we pray when we hear sirens for those first responders in our city that God would protect them and give them wisdom as they go to offer assistance and help and intervention. And, and really as a family, we've just conditioned ourselves to do this. As a first response, we pray. But there's other things in our lives that we don't immediately respond with prayer to. Suffering or trouble or sorrow. At times our first response might be to try and alleviate that suffering or bring comfort so we call someone, we do something to get rid of this trouble, to make ourselves feel better, alleviate ourselves from sorrow. Maybe we blame someone else for, for the sorrow or the trouble that's come to us and we sometimes even lash out in revenge. That might be our first response in times of trouble or sorrow or suffering. But God says your first response is pray. When, when I'm glad or happy or when we're glad or happy, our first response might not be to thank God and offer prayers of praise and worship and adoration to him for this blessing, this good thing that we've experienced in life. But the Bible says pray. If we're sick, we often our immediate response is, I've got to go see a doctor. I've got to take some medication. I've got to take some Tylenol or something. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But God's word says to us, first of all, pray. First of all, pray. Pray with elders in the church. Pray with mature Christians. Pray. See, James has a pretty good list here. If you're sad, glad, sick, or have sinned, pray. And you know what my challenge to you is when you have gotten to the place that your first response in these four areas, sad, glad, sick, sinned, pray, then add a couple to it. But start with these. Let's start with these, church, where our first response is immediately to pray. So here's a question. What might change in your life if your first response to all that you experienced in life was to pray? What change might come about in your life, in your heart? I've been thinking a little bit about this. And I think one of my answers would be, one of the changes that would take place in my life is, I feel like my ordinary, you know, Monday to Friday, morning, afternoon, evening, and all that I experience within that normal time frame, every hour of every day, if praying was my first response, God's heart, his agenda, what he thinks about would be far more integrated into my normal everyday life. 
if praying was my first response. I would go to him first. And you know what? That would be a very good thing. And I bet it would be for you as well. What would change if praying became your natural first response to all you experienced in life? What would happen if if praying became a first response to what we observed and experienced in our world? What if our first response as a church, thousands of us that belong to Center Street Church, if prayer was our immediate first response to what we heard on the news, what we heard was happening globally, what we heard was happening nationally, what might change if praying was our collective first response? You see, what James tells us here in these first few verses is praying for the followers of Jesus. Praying is our first response. That's what we're called to. James continues on here then in verse 17. And he gives us an example of someone whose life exemplified prayer. And of all the people in the Old Testament that James could pick, of a life that reveals the effectiveness and the power of prayer, James chooses Elijah. And he recounts this incident that happened between Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And this is what James says here in verse 17. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. You know what I love about this verse? Is that James, first of all, says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. That Elijah, this great prophet in the Old Testament, was an ordinary guy. How comforting is that? And what James is saying, the task of prayer is for ordinary adults, ordinary children, ordinary youth and young adults, just ordinary people. And James knows how we get as human beings when we think about prayer. He knows that at times we feel we we want to pray more, but don't pray more. Or we don't pray as often as we should. Or sometimes we feel like our prayers are not heard or our prayers are not effective. And James knows the excuses and the insecurities that we have about prayer. And so he reminds us, Elijah is a normal human being. He has nothing over you and I here today. But look at what Elijah's prayer accomplished. Just look at this. Many of you know this this account of what took place on Mount Carmel. What took place here is that Elijah had prayed and prophesied that God had told him to do this, that it would not rain. There would be a drought in the land for three and a half years, and there was a drought. And this took place because the king at that time, King Ahab, worshipped false gods of Baal and Asherah, and not the one true God. And so after three and a half years was up, Elijah went to King Ahab and said, King Ahab, here's what's going to happen. I want you to get 450 prophets of Baal and meet me on Mount Carmel. I want you to get another 400 prophets of Asherah and come and meet me on Mount Carmel. So all of that took place. The 850 prophets of a false pagan god met him on Mount Carmel. Elijah was there, King Ahab, people that lived in that surrounding area, and they gathered there. When everybody was assembled, King Elijah said this, you get your sacrifice ready, I'll get my sacrifice ready. You call on your God, I'll call on my God. And the God who answers by fire 
will be the one true God. The stage was set here for a a showdown. Now think with me for a moment about the power dynamics, the forces that were at play against one another, confronting one another in that, on that day. <clears throat> you had the king worshiping false pagan gods. Devotion to these gods required human sacrifice and hedonistic temple rituals of worship. 850 prophets and the king behind them. You had the one true God exerting his authority and his power and his might through one ordinary human being. You had this drought that had just devastated the land that had caused famine and hardship for three and a half years, no rain. You had the king's wife, Jezebel, who was hunting down prophets of the one true God like Elijah and murdering them and killing them. Those were the power dynamics taking place. Now here's my question. Where does the place of prayer, the force, the power, the might of prayer fit among all of those other power dynamics that I've just mentioned. Where does prayer fit into all of that? So here's what happened on that day. All day long, 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah were cutting themselves and worshiping their gods and cutting themselves with spears and machetes and dancing and calling out to their God. They continued with their frantic displays of worship all day long and nothing happened and then came the evening And Elijah stands up and says, okay, enough with this. And Elijah began to get his sacrifice ready. And he had already heard from God everything that he was supposed to do. That's what the Bible tells us. He did everything that God told him to do in preparation for this sacrifice. And then we read here in 1 Kings chapter 18 that Elijah stood forward. He stepped out of the crowd. He stepped out from among everything that was taking place, stepped forward and prayed this prayer. He says, answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. That's what he prayed. And as soon as he finished praying, that fire fell Fire came and burnt up the bull sacrifice, burnt up the wood, burnt up the stones, burnt up the soil around that altar, burnt up all of the water from 12 large jars that had been poured over everything. Fire fell and everybody could see who the one true God was. And then, I mean, you can read the rest of what takes place here in 1 Kings chapter 18. Read that this afternoon. And then after a little while, Elijah falls on his face before God, his head touching his knees, and he prays seven times that God would send rain. And after seven times of praying, God sent the rains. Now, what is James trying to tell us here about prayer from this story? In these verses, here's what James is trying to tell us. The praying is the preeminent force in this world. Praying is the dominant force in this world. Praying is the most powerful force in this world. Praying is not a secondary force. It's not a minor force. It's not an insignificant force in this world. No, praying is the most powerful stimulus and influence 
in this world. Praying is the, the most dominant force. It's the most powerful force in this world. Because when God's people pray, they step forward and stand in the very presence of the most high God. The most high God. The God above every other God. The God Almighty. When we pray, we stand in his presence. We stand before him and we pray. And then God answers. And he moves according to his purposes because his people prayed. Prayer is the most powerful force. It can't be a secondary force. Because if prayer was a secondary force in this world, then that means that God would be secondary. And the God that we read about in the Bible, our God, Elijah's God, is not secondary to anything else in existence. That's true. That's true. So prayer is the most powerful force in this world. Because we pray to the most powerful God in this world. Prayer is not secondary. And when we understand the magnificence, the magnificence of the God that we worship and the God that we pray to, it makes complete, rational, common sense to pray. It makes absolutely sense to pray. To pray for rain when there's drought. To pray for peace in the middle of war when peace seems impossible. To pray for justice in, right in the middle of injustice when it seems impossible that we pray for justice. That we pray for love in the middle of hatred that we pray for unity in the middle of discord and breakup, that we pray for reconciliation in families and marriages and nations and countries when it seems absolutely impossible, that we pray for freedom when it seems impossible, that we pray for provision when there seems to be nothing around us. You see, it makes complete sense to pray these bold, audacious, courageous prayers because praying is the preeminent force in this world. Nothing supersedes prayer and our God who answers prayer. Here's a question I've been thinking about. What if we didn't pray? What if we as a church did not pray? What if your family didn't pray? What if Christians around the world did not pray? And I haven't, I don't have a full, long, comprehensive answer to this question for you, but here's what I know. Here's what I know. That God's secrets, his revelation, his truth, his plans, his will, his agenda, his purposes have never been revealed or communicated to people who did not pray. Here's what else I know. That neglecting prayer has always brought about a loss of faith, a loss of love, a loss of intimacy with God. Neglecting prayer has brought about a loss of obedience. Neglecting prayer has brought about a loss in communion with God, intimacy with God. 
Neglecting prayer has brought about a loss in the advance of the gospel in this world. And you see, just as praying people, praying churches, praying families, praying small groups, community groups, advance God's agenda, God's mission, God's gospel in this world, prayerless people interfere and hinder with what God wants to accomplish in this world. And so we pray for We pray for ourselves. We pray for our families. We pray for our neighborhoods, for our city, for our nation. We pray for our world. And we pray against, against any force that would come against what God wants to accomplish, his rule, his reign, and his mission in this world. Church, we pray. We must pray. As followers of Jesus, we pray. James reminds us, first of all, praying is our first response. He reminds us as well that praying is the preeminent, the dominant force in this world. And then he reminds us that praying brings about eternal change. Eternal change. When I was a youth pastor, something began happening in our youth ministry that we couldn't figure out. We didn't have an explanation for it. We didn't know why this was taking place. And what was taking place was this. In Kelowna at the time, there were five or six different high schools that were in and around Kelowna. And in our high school youth ministry, we had representation from each of these schools and approximately equal representation from every high school in our youth ministry. But over the course of a couple of years, more and more and more and more students began coming from one particular high school. And we couldn't figure out why. To the point that we had about 80 students from one particular high school coming to our youth ministry. And we racked our brains thinking, why was this taking place? And after a little while, we found out. You see, what was happening is there were a group of moms that were meeting to pray weekly. Praying for the school administration and praying for the high school students of that school that they would come to know Jesus And their lives would be changed. And these moms were praying specifically that students from that high school would come to our youth ministry in order to find Jesus, get their lives, their eternities changed. And that happened to many of these students. And that's amazing. God answered the prayers of these women who were praying and interceding on behalf of this school. James ends his letter here with verse 19 and 20 saying this, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring them back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the way of error will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You see, James here at the end of his letter is reminding us of what's most important in our life. The most important goal, the most important mission that we have on our earth is to pray so that people's hearts would be turned back to God. Just like Elijah prayed. People's hearts would be turned back to God. And James reminds us here that God will use your praying, God will use my praying, God will use our praying to bring this about. I mean, what an incredible miracle, isn't it? When someone who's far from God finds God, finds Jesus Christ, is introduced to him, and their heart is changed, their their outlook on life is changed. Their demeanor changes. Their attitude and their convictions and their values and their their behavior changes because they have met Jesus and their eternity is changed forever. It's a miracle 
when this takes place. James reminds us, pray for this to happen. Pray that people who don't know God, their hearts would be turned back to him. Just 11 days ago, New Year's Eve, my wife and I were with another couple and we were praying for the new year. Praying for one another. And one of the things that we prayed for was this lady that our friends knew. They asked us to pray for this lady that she would come to know Jesus. We prayed specifically that night, New Year's Eve, for there to be a conversation that this couple that we were praying with would have with this other lady. We prayed specifically that in that conversation, this lady would surrender her life to Jesus and come to know him and just live fully for him. We prayed that God would just break down the barriers of some barriers that seemed to be in her life from her making this decision. And we prayed that night. And two days ago, guess what happened? <laughs> guess what happened? <laughs> you know what happened. Here's the text that we got two days ago. Praise to the Lord Jesus, who is worthy of praise. Isn't he church? He's worthy of praise. It says, we're texting you to share some great news. This lady surrendered her life to Jesus today, two days ago. The text concludes saying, praise to our loving heavenly father who has been pursuing her for a very long time. You know what church, that's our God. That is our God who pursues every single person who does not know Jesus yet. He pursues them and he will use your praying and he will use my praying to accomplish this miracle in the hearts and minds of people. He'll use you. Do you believe with faith that he will answer your prayers? He will. God loves to answer prayers. Prayed on behalf of people who don't know him yet. James reminds us, first of all, praying is our first response. Praying is the preeminent force in this world, and praying brings about eternal change. You know, as we end our service right now, I want to lead us to spend some time praying together. And here's how this is going to look. This morning, if you would like to be prayed for, You'd like to respond to what God's doing in your life and you want to receive prayer. Come over to my right, your left, up at the front here. Prayer partners, just come forward at this time if you would and just gather up here on the right-hand side and, and just come forward. And our prayer partners would love to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. So prayer partners, just make your way up here right now and gather on the right-hand side. On the left-hand side over here are going to be our missionaries that we interviewed just a few moments ago. And I would ask that a number of you, lots of you, would come and gather around them and pray for them. Intercede on their behalf. Pray for their ministries they lead. Pray for what's going on in their life and pray for them. If you want to receive prayer, come to the right here. If you want to be, pray for our missionaries, come to the left. And everybody who came in this morning received a little bookmark like this. Now I want to encourage you to spend a few moments, spend a few minutes, eight or ten minutes or so. If you don't want to come forward for prayer or you don't want to pray for our missionaries, then remain in your seats and pray over the requests listed on the back of this bookmark.
There's things that we're encouraging you to pray for every day this week, but pray through this. With someone you came with, pray out loud, pray quietly, pray by yourself, pray as a group. And you know what? When you're done praying, up at the front here receiving prayer, when you're finished praying for our missionaries on this side, or you're praying in your seat, then feel free to leave. And if you have to leave immediately, I understand, please do that. But what I would love is if we spend some time praying right now. And so join me as I pray and just lead us into this time of prayer. So join me in prayer. God, you've taught us from your word. And so what we want to do right now, God, is we want to respond immediately to what you've been saying to us. And so God, hear the prayers prayed in this room this morning and answer. We pray in faith, acknowledging that you are all powerful. We know you hear us and we know you'll answer. So answer the prayers prayed right now. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.